Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm grateful that we can gather together, uh, even as we continue to do it virtually. I know that uh, many of us are still processing the tragedy uh, and violence that occurred in Atlanta this past week. Uh, we grieve the loss of the eight individuals who were murdered, uh, six of them who were Asian American women. And this attack continues along pattern of anti-Asian racism and xenophobia and misogyny in this country. And so we grieve with their families uh, and all who mourn their loss. And I'm grateful for the support and solidarity of those in our community uh, as we continue this long journey of standing against and fighting racism and misogyny and other um, oppressive expressions that marginalize and harm. And so for those of you who identify as API individuals, uh, we would like to offer uh, time and space this Tuesday night uh, for support and processing uh, to navigate trauma that you may have experienced um, or witnessed as an Asian American. Uh, Christina Cotham and Sam Lee will be facilitating that time for us. And while we greatly appreciate our API allies and friends, uh, we respectfully ask that only those who identify as API register for this meeting. So you can sign up on our events page at boxvinier.com backslash events, and a Zoom link will be sent out to you. Uh, in the coming week, we'll post some helpful resources on our website as well. But this morning, uh, as we continue in the season of Lent, our very own Sarah Burson will be opening up the scriptures with us. Uh, so welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Wei. Um, good morning, Vox. It is a pleasure to be with you on this beautiful day. The sun is just starting to peek through. And even though we are not physically together, I think we can feel spiritually joined by the shared experience of feeling the warm sun, hearing the birds outside, smelling coffee brewing, and seeing our computer screens come to life with familiar faces and new faces. In these last couple of weeks, I've noticed myself reflecting a lot on what was happening one year ago today, where I was, where the world was, what we were talking about. This morning, I'd really like to hear from you about where you were one year ago. Please use the chat box, and if you feel comfortable, please share one or two of the things that come to mind of where you were one year ago. I'll give us a minute to share. Thank you all for sharing. Um, I find hearing from everyone helps me to feel connected to them and hearing your experiences helps me feel connected. Um, you may continue to share in the chat box. I'd love to read them later, um, but we'll move on. I Googled some news headlines from one year ago today. One year ago today, reporters were still explaining what the novel coronavirus was. It had just been declared a pandemic. There's a headline that kills me. It says one in five people stay home, which is quaint now, isn't it? We have this whiplash of things are okay. Testing is increasing and things are terrible. Testing is insufficient. We were in the middle of an intense political campaign season and the social justice movement was sparking important conversations and hopefully beginning to change things for the better. 
even as we were mourning and raging about the lives lost to police brutality. And as far as I was, uh, where I was one year ago today, that's easy to remember. I did not need to Google it. I was 37 weeks pregnant and the blue bonnets were blooming. I was six weeks into a brand new job on an ICU that became my hospital's COVID ICU. My husband, Tim, was just about to get laid off from his company due to their preemptive cutbacks, fearing the worst of the pandemic. We, Vox, had had our last liturgy two weeks ago in person, and we wouldn't meet online for another two weeks. I remember that first liturgy. It was Palm Sunday. And just seeing faces that I knew on the screen just had me in tears the whole time. I loved it. And here we are one year later. Much has happened to you, to me, our friends, our family, our country, and the world. Even today, we are again reeling and enraged about the violence perpetrated in Atlanta last week and its implications surrounding safety for our vulnerable populations. It's been hard to integrate this last year for me. Today, I invite us into a time to reflect on this last year and to see that the love of God has been a thread throughout it. Just before, just a few verses before this morning's text in verse 21, Jeremiah writes, set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself signposts. Consider well the highway the road by which he went. As we're thinking about where we were a year ago and what's happened since, I invite you to think of those things as road markers. They are a way of signifying achievements, events, life stages, transitions. They can provide guidance if we're in a similar situation or help others decide which way to go. When we put them up consciously or most often unconsciously, we're doing so to validate our experience and to inform our future. In our text this morning, we read that the Israelites who signify God's chosen people have messed up yet again and broken yet another covenant with God. But the prophet Jeremiah has received a vision from God, which includes a new promise, a new covenant. Jeremiah writes, the days are surely coming, says the Lord. When I will make a new covenant, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors, a covenant they broke. The covenants, the old covenants with God were very transactional. You'll remember that in order to prove his faith, Abraham had to get so close to sacrificing his son that his knife was raised before an angel stopped him. When Adam and Eve messed up, they had to leave the garden. There's tons of examples in the Old Testament. And it's like after centuries of watching humanity struggle, God finally got clued in that we were going to need a little more help. And that's this new covenant. And we know the new covenant is Jesus. Jesus will mark an end to the separation of God and people. This new covenant will not be based on establishing laws and strict adherence to them, but instead will be based on forgiveness and love. This new covenant is that we are inherently loved and lovable. I invite you to consider your old covenants. Where have you seen 
a transactional acceptance play out in your life? What would it have looked like if you were inherently accepted instead? When I first started uh, transitioning into working towards a nursing degree, this was like five years ago, six years ago, a nurse once told me to never look up or find out how an incarcerated patient became incarcerated. I specifically remember him telling me this might bias you. And it's been really good advice now that I am a nurse And when I have patients in police, if and when I have patients in police custody, I try to give them the best care I can, knowing that mine might be the only kindness they're receiving during this period in their lives. But after a year in the COVID ICU, I've had to expand this piece of advice. I've added, not learning what someone did before or after receiving their COVID diagnosis. I had to build this expanded rule for myself the hard way. I had a patient a few months ago who received a positive diagnosis in another country. Not wanting to be treated there, the patient boarded a plane and flew to Austin, where they were picked up by their daughter and granddaughter in the car. The patient was admitted to the ICU the following day and was requiring as much oxygen as we can give before we have to intubate. Meaning, When that patient boarded the plane, they were likely extremely symptomatic in addition to being COVID positive. They lied about their positive test on the affidavit for their home country's custom department and the U.S. department. The patient didn't tell their family about the diagnosis before being picked up in the car either. When I learned this story, I was so angry. Righteous indignation, you might call it. I thought about how restricted my life had been to protect myself and my family. I thought about how few people have held or met my baby, how most of my family won't even meet her as a baby. I thought of the hundreds of people who were exposed on the plane, the airport workers who can't stay home and were exposed. It was a holiday and I was at work and I wasn't going to be spending time with my family. Uh, If I think about it, I can actually get myself (laughs) worked up again and get angry about it. I thought that patient was so selfish. They were so reckless, careless, only looking out for themselves and risking so many around them. It's hard to admit that this is how I felt. It's not that I denied the patient pain medication or held back care for them, It was just this whole extra emotional hurdle I had to jump every time I went into their room. It took a lot of energy to jump this hurdle. And it was one of many factors that led to a period of burnout for me. And now when looking at this text, I see how transactional my thinking was. I was looking at what they had done as the marker of who they were. They became a selfish person rather than doing a selfish thing. They broke the covenant that I had been carefully upholding at great personal sacrifice. But the new covenant, the promise of love and forgiveness, would have me regard this person as someone who needs my compassion as much as anyone else. The new covenant would have me consider myself in need of the same love and forgiveness. That though our lives are very different, We're both inherently worthy of love and forgiveness.
It's not what we do, but who we are. This is not an overnight transition for me. I still struggle with that hurdle. Not every day, but it's getting a little better. But the more I can think of myself as inherently worthy, the easier it becomes to think of others in the same way. The idea of inherent worth carries over perfectly to the next verse in our text. God tells Jeremiah, this is the covenant that I will make. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be my, their God and they will be my people. God's promise is that this inherent worthiness will become internalized. God will write it on our hearts so we'll just know it. The way I see the difference is that the old covenant was an external knowing of God, something kind of in the head. But this new covenant will be an internal experience of God. We won't need to learn it or see it play out in front of us because we will have internalized the problem promise of our inherent worthiness. I invite you to consider, how do you make sense of your external world? How do you go from knowing something to experiencing it internally? While our external worlds have varied wildly, one thing we've all internalized this year has been trauma. Some of it is conscious. Probably most of it is unconscious. Most of us have known death this season. All of us have known loss uncertainty, and isolation. A few months ago, I had a really difficult patient case. The patient had come in already very sick with an advanced disease and then was found to be COVID positive. He declined rapidly. He was intubated about 10 days after being admitted and was requiring a ventilator to live. He had medications running to keep him in a medical coma to manage pain to keep his blood pressure up. A week after being intubated, his wife died suddenly. A month later, we were still unable to make steps toward removing the breathing tube and the doctors thought he was unlikely to recover. His sibling was our primary contact and was keeping his kids out of the loop and downplaying the severity of his illness. Or maybe she herself didn't realize how sick he was. But the eldest, a senior in high school, was permitted to come visit him. She had to come alone because of our visiting policy. And I'll never forget those moments. I stood with her while she took it all in. The many IVs pumping drugs into her dad, the monitors blinking and their occasional alarms, the ventilator and its rhythmic cadence. Tubes to put stuff in and drains to manage what came out. She barely moved. She seemed so small in that moment and both terribly young and somehow terribly aged. This was a foreign land and I wanted to hold her, to put my hand on her face and block her eyes from seeing her dad who wasn't her dad anymore. After a few minutes, she asked me if he knew that her mother, his wife had died. She asked if we'd be, he'd be in pain if we took the breathing tube out. She asked me what she should tell her 10-year-old brother. I could see her trying to make sense of it, to get caught up on weeks of medical interventions, 
to try to understand what was happening to her world. I tried to prepare her that her dad might not come home. I told her she was too young for this. This is too hard for anyone to take. I told her that just because her parents weren't there anymore didn't mean their love for her went away. I told her their love for her would always be there. In the chaos of that hospital room, I don't know if anything I said made sense or if she was able to internalize it. I do hope so. As I was speaking, I imagined the air around us filling with her parents' love. And I could almost sense the warmth of it. I imagined her mother's presence, loving and kind, with a gentle smile for her daughter. I hope that she could feel it too. This makes me think about the presence of God's love and the abundance of it. Our new covenant is that we have God's love written on our hearts. It's internal and internalized. What would the chaotic external world look like if you could feel the love of God, if you could experience it and breathe it in? I invite you to consider that this week. And I'd like to draw our attention to one more point in this text. The old covenant was for some, but the new covenant would be for all. Jeremiah writes, They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. Whatever holds us to our old covenants, our fears of needing to prove ourselves, needing to be seen as worthy, these are eradicated by Jesus. There's a freedom in the new promise of God, which is no longer transactional or external. We are invited to rest in our inherent worth and to internalize this message. And we know that this new covenant is for all. The old covenant was for the Israelites, the most holy, the ones who could pay for sacrifices on the altars. When the new covenant was created by Jesus' sacrifice, everyone got access to that love. And in a world where we could really use a little more inclusion, this is a wonderful truth to cling to. As I think back on the mile markers of this year, I think one of the most helpful things to processing them was an event my hospital put on called the Schwartz Rounds. I'd never participated in one before, and they usually are in person, but we did this virtually a few weeks ago. These rounds are specifically for healthcare settings and are intended to debrief and share experiences. In our Schwartz Rounds, various departments were represented like the respiratory team, housekeeping, an attending doctor, and of course, nursing. People shared what this year has been like from all corners of the hospital. And it was a sobering glimpse into their experiences of this pandemic. But what was maybe the most cathartic for me was hearing from the nurse. Of course, right? This nurse is someone on my unit who very early took on extra challenges of figuring out how to keep our unit safe during this COVID pandemic. She's extremely knowledgeable, very self-assured, and a general badass on the unit. I'd always been kind of intimidated by her, but not because she is intimidating. It's just, she's just so good and I'm new and I just really admire her and respect her. She was maybe three sentences in before she started to get tearful. 
And to be clear, everyone was tearful. From minute one, I had tears running down my cheeks, of course. But to see this nurse allowing herself to be so vulnerable was truly meaningful to me. And her perspective put words to some things I had not realized about my own experiences. She talked about going home and telling her family she'd had a bad day, but that they didn't and couldn't understand what that meant. And at work, if she saw a colleague in the break room or in passing, she sometimes wanted to reach out and ask how they were or talk about how it was going for her, but she couldn't. She knew they were experiencing the same things and had as much ability to shoulder her suffering as she had for theirs. And I realized that we were in this together, but even in that togetherness, I had felt so alone. People on my unit seemed to be doing great or fine, and I felt like I was the only one who was barely holding on. But when we spoke candidly with each other during these rounds, I realized how we really are going through a collective journey of isolation and loneliness, trauma and hope. And we maybe just don't have language for it sometimes. God's promise to us is that we all have access to God's love and forgiveness. The new promise has already come and it's on our hearts. We might not have language for it, but it's there and it offers hope. This week, I invite you to participate in a spiritual practice. I invite you to find a way to practice a Schwartz round of your own. If you feel comfortable, find a safe person to share your experiences of this last year with. Notice what comes up for you. Notice your road markers, your old covenants. Notice what's changed for you this year. I also invite you to try to be the listener for someone safe this week. Ask them to share their experiences of the year. Notice what comes up for you and what common experiences you shared. I'd like to close us with a prayer of benediction that one of our very own prayer writers offered to our community a few weeks ago. It couldn't be more fitting than for today. Let's pray. This week, open us to the thin spaces where heaven touches earth and sacred enters profane, where eternal meets temporal and where death transforms life. Might even our own bodies be sites for this? This week, may we see our physicality, our temporality and fragility, not as evidence of our failings, but of our divinity, a gift from the God who chose to become one of us and chose to become human. In the name of our welcoming God, our embodied Christ, our transcendent Holy Ghost. Amen.